Let's pray. Father, as we do uh, open up your word today, once again, God, we, we're here to hear from you. Lord, we don't want to just be religious people who gather together or, or kind of quote a club that comes together and meets on, uh, on a certain time, but Lord, we have come to be with our God and to hear from our God. And so as we do go into your word now, I pray that that heart of worship would just be maintained. And God, that you would have your way with us. I know that, that Lord, you want to speak to every single one of us directly. That, Lord, it's not just a group thing, but, Lord, you love us as individuals also. And you care about what's going on in our lives. You care about where we're at. And, Lord, you care enough to give us your word to encourage us in those times and strengthen us in those times. So bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, for a couple weeks, we've been kind of looking at some warnings that, uh, especially in the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 11, that I was going to say that Paul has written, but the author of Hebrews has written and, and given out. And now, listen, now he kind of shifts. And here's the thing that I, I personally find fascinating about this section of Scripture, is the challenge is, who or what do you trust? And you know that. You know what you're putting your trust in. You know what you're putting your faith in, what you're counting on. And I think, you know what, I think right now is a great time to stop and evaluate that, especially with elections coming up. Who are you trusting in the midst of all of this chaos and craziness going on? And again, if you're putting it in things of the world, you're going to get disappointed. If you're, you know, if you're a religious person and putting it in some kind of religion, you're going to get disappointed. I know when I was younger, you know, there was, a, and this always kind of strikes me weird, there was St. Francis. You guys kind of maybe have some Catholic background or whatever, remember? And then he got desainted. And that's a drag, man. Like you put your faith in this thing and then they go, never mind. So think about that. You need to put your faith in God. And that's one of the reasons why we go through the scriptures so diligently here is that we would better understand him, better know him, so that we can put our hope in him. We can put our trust in him. So the author here, so far in the beginning of, of chapter 6, kind of gave a stern warning, probably one of the sternest warnings in all of Scripture and maybe even one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture as far as interpreting and as far as getting right. Now, listen, now he like, to me, he radically, radically changes and maybe because he knows, hey, I just said something hard. Now, I need to, I need to minister to those people. So look what he says in verse 9. But beloved... We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. So here's what he knows. He said some, some really tough things and challenged them. And I think challenged us. Once again, I like, to, I like to encourage us to think of the things that are written, not so much as warning passages, but more as encouragement. Hey, this is where you could head. Don't go that direction. Don't do that thing. But now he says, listen, beloved, check this out for homework. For homework, read all of Hebrews. And see how many times this author says beloved. You'll be shocked. 
So here's what I know. It wasn't something he just threw out there. You know, there's some people that, that just throw things out there and, and they don't really mean it. Do you know what I mean? Like some people go, oh, I love you. And then they turn around and talk to the tree and say, oh, I love you. And you're kind of going, I don't think you really love me. Well, this guy doesn't throw beloved around very much. That's why I'm not sure it's Paul because Paul uses it quite a bit. But this author does not throw that around. And he says, hey, beloved, here's what he's knowing, man. I said some hard things, but beloved. He goes, I'm confident. I love that. I'm confident, he says, of, of better things concerning you. He's looking at them and he goes, listen, man. And then he says this, yes, things that accompany salvation. Here's what he knows. You guys have demonstrated that the Spirit is working in you, that you have, you know, not so much just partaken, but you have allowed that indwelling of the Spirit to radically transform your lives and change you. And he's seeing that and he goes, man, I have, listen, I have confidence in you even though I spoke in hard ways. Now here's what I appreciate about this author is he says what needs to be said. And I believe, listen, I believe all of us, we need somebody in our life who's willing to say the things that need to be said to us. And probably that should not be your spouse because that could just cause a huge argument. But you need that person, listen, you need that person who is willing to say the hard things to you and that you, you, can, you can receive from them and hear it. That's important. And he says, listen, I had to speak in this manner because I love you and I'm concerned about you and I don't want you going in that direction. So, man, listen, I'm confident. And then, and then listen to what he says. He says, for God is not unjust. You know what? You might just underline that part. Don't read on. Look up. You guys keep reading and we're done reading right now. He says, listen, because I think this is important. Do you ever remind yourself that God is not unjust? That he's a faithful God, a holy God, a righteous God, but he's never unjust. And I, I love that idea because you might read one through eight and especially four, five, and six and think, I don't know if God's so just. And he says, listen, he says, four, he says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. Here's what he's saying, man. God knows what you've done for him and in his name and that labor of love that you have for your God. And then he says then that you ministered, right? That labor of love that you have for his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So past tense, you have ministered. Present tense, you're still ministering. But I want us to notice something because I think this is extremely important. And in the world, I think the world gets it all mixed up. The world acts like we should be serving one another and concerned about one another. And then maybe other things come later. You will not really serve other people until you love God first. You have to have that labor of love for him and then you're able to embrace others because it's easy to serve people you get along with, right? It's easy to hang out with people that you have, you know, a little bit more in common with. But man, you get around some people that, you know, might rub you the wrong way a little bit or might think a little bit differently than you and stuff. That takes the love of God. And if you do not love God, you're not gonna minister to them. And you and I need to understand our service needs to come from 
And it needs to start with a love for him and then flow out of that. Remember Peter denied the Lord? That was a bummer for Peter, right? That was a huge thing. And then I love the scene in John 21, and, and I love the scene where Jesus restores Peter in a sense. And remember, they're out fishing, Jesus is cooking fish. I just love that whole idea that he's cooking for him. And then for those of us who have been to Israel, there's that little shoreline. It's a cool place if it's the right place or not, but still you can get on a shoreline there. And remember, Peter came running up. What did Jesus ask Peter when he went for a walk with him? I want you to think about that because that's important. He's restoring Peter. And what did he ask him? He didn't say, Peter, do you love mankind? What did he say? Do you love me? Because out of that love for Jesus is going to flow this service and love for others. As, as the pastor here, I gotta be really honest. There's some of you I probably wouldn't even wanna talk to if it wasn't for the love of God. And some of you are going, that's rude. Well, I'm just being honest. And some of you probably feel the same way about me. You wouldn't care about me. And, uh, you know, there, there's a thing in my heart, especially coming here. I don't know how many of you know, I planted a Calvary Chapel in Bisbee back when I got out of Bible college. I started there, and then I was friends with the person who was uh, pastoring here at that time. The church was out on Hereford Road, and we were close friends and interacted. And then he was going to go teach at the Bible college, asked me to come to take this church. Now, this is going to be brutally honest, and we'll probably lose some people, but it's okay. I didn't want to come. I didn't want to come for a couple reasons. One reason, I got drafted. I was a lot, myself and a good friend of mine were the last two people in Bisbee to get drafted. We have a, there's a plaque if you go to Bisbee, there's a plaque. No, there's not. <laughs> Some of you are going, really? I haven't seen that. <laughs> but we were the last two people. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm honest, I did not like the army. I did not like being in the army. I did not like, you know, the uniform. I didn't like, I didn't like anything about the army. And I was so glad to get out. I, I remember my captain right when I was getting ready to get out. He came to me and, and I was out of uniform. Shock, shock. And he said, hey, could you put your shirt on and stuff? I need to talk to you. And he talked to me. He goes, do you have any inkling, just a little inkling that you might re-enlist? And I go, Nope. And he goes, okay, we talked for an hour if anybody asked. So he went on his way. But then, then I got out and even to this day, this is, this is honesty. To this day, I go on a military base, I freak out. I just don't like them. You know, I go, I go up here on post and I'm going, I got to get off of here. I got to get out. I'm, maybe I'm afraid they're going to keep me again. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just, I just go on and I, I feel out of place. I feel like I can't do things. I just do not like it. And God sends me to Sierra Vista. That is hilarious, isn't it? And that's, listen, that's the work of God. The love for him will allow me to overcome my, well, I still don't go up on post, but some of my fears of stuff. But listen, it's got to flow out of that. If our service and the things we do for others, and I'm not just talking about in church, I'm talking about generally in life, if that's not flowing out of a love for God, it's for nothing. 
He says, listen, man, it starts with the Lord and your heart tied to him. And out of that then comes the other stuff. And he says, listen, you guys are doing that. And he's proud of them. But then he says this, listen, verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Hey, don't stop. Be diligent. A relationship takes energy. And it takes work. I don't care what kind of relationship you have. If you're going to maintain a relationship, it takes work. I shared with some people, Gaynell and I, Friday celebrated 50 years of, of, uh, of our marriage. That has taken, that has taken years. We got married when we were like four. But it was arranged. So, But that takes work. Listen, we didn't get to 50 years by just, hey, whatever happens will happen. We put work into it. We put energy into it. And listen here, he says, you need that diligence. Are you, are you reading what he's saying? That same diligence, he says, to the full assurance of hope until the end. You've got to work on it. There are times where I begin to lose my hope as I walk with Jesus. I've got to renew that. How can I renew that? by getting in his word, by praying, and by fellowshipping with the saints and gathering together with believers and, and getting that encouragement. When I think of diligence, I heard this story a long time ago and I, I, I'm remembering part of it, so I hope I get it right, but there was a, there was a sailor who was on one of the ships in World War II and, and they, they came against some of the, the Japanese uh, ships and they had a battle and his gun, the big gun he was firing, blew up and knocked him into the, knocked him overboard, and he went into the ocean, and he had a life belt on, and that kept him afloat, and another ship came by, picked him up, and put him back where he belonged in his first ship, and then that one sunk. It got sunk, and he, and you know, I'm thinking, bad luck, I don't want this guy around, and, and his life belt kept him going again, and he got rescued again, and ended up, and, and as he's recovering, he's looking at this life belt, and it was made by a company from his hometown, and he's, and he's reading it, and it has a number on it, so when he gets home, his mom worked for that company, and he asked his mom, what's that number all about that they put on there? And she said, that's a number for quality control that they can check on each one of us to make sure we're diligently doing our job. And he told her the number, and she started crying. It was her number. Yeah. Diligently. So, hey, man, we need to diligently do our relationship with the Lord. And, and check this out. How long do we do it? To the end. When is the end? Well, it might be your end, or it might be when he comes back. I was thinking last night I shared, wouldn't it be awesome, just I'm gonna get just a little political, wouldn't it be great if on November 3rd, if he came back right when the polls were closing? Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be like God, like boom, I'll take care of it. I thought, I thought wow, that's good. So I've, if God's open to suggestions. But we have to do it until the, I think that would be just hilarious. <laughs> I would want to be, part of me would want to get left behind to watch the news. Like, what would they be, but anyway. So. Saints, we got to go to the end. 
to the end. And we got to be diligent. And then, and then again, he says, hey, he says that you are, are your full assurance of hope until the end, verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So don't be sluggish, man. Don't be that lazy person. Be that person you're gonna put energy, you're gonna put effort into it, and you're gonna go forward. And hey, when he talks about sluggish, here's the interesting thing. He talks about sluggish. The last time he talked about sluggish or, or kind of slowing down or dull, was back in chapter five, verse 11, when he said, you're dull of hearing. Remember, he had brought up Melchizedek, and he says, hey, I have a lot to say, but because you're dull of hearing, I need to say these other things. And now he's kind of, he's, he's getting back there. He's been on a like a side trail. We're coming back all of a sudden. But when he talks about being sluggish, listen, and then he says, he says, hey, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Do you have heroes of the faith? I think we should have biblical heroes. You know, we look at some of them and, and, and there are heroes and many of us have many different heroes for different reasons. But I think we should have real life heroes. I think we should have some old dead guy heroes, right? That have finished and made it to the end. But I think we should have current heroes also that are fighting the fight, that are going forward, that are trusting in the promises of God in spite of everything around them. They're going forward. And here's what he's saying, man. You need to find those people and you need to imitate them. You need to look at them and go, there is someone who is trusting in the promises of God. I want to be like that. When I grow up, I want to be like that person or like that individual. And I think that's important. Now, as he says that, here's what I think. He wrote that. Don't read. He wrote that. And then I think he said this. Listen, I think it, it went ding, 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 ding. And he went, oh. And here's what I believe. I'm going to write about my hero. Right? Patience and faith. And so look at what he says. He says, he says those who, who, who uh, uh, through faith and patience inherit the promises. Verse 13, for when, God may, had, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. So listen, man, I think he went ding, 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 Abraham. Abraham must be one of his heroes. Abraham's one of my heroes. And you gotta admire Abraham, don't you? If you, you know, if you don't know anything about Abraham, for homework, go start in Genesis 12 and read all the way through. But here's the highlights of promises made to Abraham in chapter 12, chapter 15, chapter 17, and then chapter 22 is here where he quotes. But he made these promises to Abraham. In chapter 12, he tells Abraham, remember this story? I love it. He says, hey, hey, Abe, get your stuff, get your family, and go. That's all he said. Do you trust God enough to go? And in this day and age, listen, I know a lot of people go, well, he didn't do it in the 21st century. Oh, it was much easier just to walk away from everything back then. Not. Come on, why do you think, here's the thing, we fantasize and romanticize about things. Oh, it was easier for Abraham. Seriously? It sounds like he walked away from a pretty lucrative lifestyle. Check it out. And he just goes. And I can't imagine, I personally cannot imagine going home after church today and telling Gaynell, we gotta go. Honey, where are we going? 
I don't know. Just get in a car. Why are we doing this? Well, God told me. I know what my wife would say. When he tells me, we'll go. <laughs> but, listen, do you have that kind of faith that you're just going to do it? I love that, and I know I, know I talk about that a lot because it just mesmerizes me. That is faith. Uh, it's not blind faith. And listen, he hadn't, he hadn't known the Lord long. And then in chapter 15, they have the holy encounter where God walks through the animal parts, he makes a covenant, and then gives him promises. And in chapter 17, he reiterates those promises. And then listen, he tells him, I'm gonna make you a great nation. You go, and I'm gonna make you a great nation. And remember, he goes and through 10 years. How many kids you got, Abe? None. You following God? Yep. What did he promise you? I'm going to be a great nation. Okay. How old are you? Well, I'm 85 now. He promised me that when I was 75. Think about how insane that is. And then even Abraham. Here's the interesting thing. Have you ever noticed the New Testament doesn't tell us the ugly stuff about the, the guys that the Old Testament tells us? Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? Now, I'm not saying it whitewashes, it just doesn't bring it up. It doesn't bring up the fact that Abraham wavered in his faith and he talked his wife into acting like she was his sister and almost got her raped and et cetera. And then they get this slave, Hagar, and then Sarah goes, hey, you know what? This is not working. This whole God promise thing isn't quite working out and I think he needs our help. So here's the deal. You sleep with my handmaiden. We'll pretend that's our child. We'll pretend we're gonna fulfill God's promises that way. Let's do that, okay? And Abraham goes, okay, sounds good to me. And he does it, and they have Ishmael. That makes a whole mess, and we can talk about all the generations after that. But man, he keeps going, and then finally he gets one kid, one. He gets, he gets his son, right? And he's going, I got my son Isaac. Now I'm gonna be a great nation. How many kids you got? One. Got a good start. Can you, do you have that kind of faith? Would you go around telling people if you only had one child that God was gonna use you to make a great nation? And he does that. And then in chapter 22 here where, where uh, the author of, of Hebrews quotes, God said, take your son and go up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. Wow, that's huge. Unless you really believe God. You see, I don't think it was ever huge for Abraham because God had told Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation through you and through your offspring. He had one son. How is all of that gonna happen? It's gotta happen through that son. God says, go sacrifice him. I believe from the moment God said it until God stopped him, I believe, I believe Abraham thought this. Even if I sacrifice him, God has a plan to bring him back because he's the one that the promise has to go through. Remember when he went up on the mountain and he turned to the guys with them and he said, the lad and I, remember this is a teenager too, not a little bitty guy. We're gonna go up, we will worship and then what does he say? We will return. He knew because that was, a, listen, it's not because he had some kind of blind faith because that was the promise of God. Do you trust the promises of God? Do you know how many promises of God there are in the Bible? Over 4,000. 
Wow, that is a lot of promises, right? I mean, that's a lot. Number one, that's a lot to just keep track of. Do you trust the promises of God? Do you know any of the promises of God? Do you, do you sit and meditate on some of those promises and, and what he's promised to do and how he's promised to do it? I think of a couple here, Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1. Both of those, listen, both of those talk about he's going to get us through to the end. He is going to make it. That's a promise from him. Not that we are going to do it, that he's going to do it. And you and I need to be people. We need to know I can trust God in those situations. So then, listen, then he tells him, he says, listen, man, God made that promise that by blessing, I'll bless you, and multiplying, I'll multiply you. Oh, and he does say that God made the promise because he, he couldn't swear by anything greater, so he swore by himself, right? Because usually when you take an oath or something, you swear by something greater than you, Right? Even when, you know, some of us, when we were heathen dogs, you know, we would go, I swear on a stack of Bibles, like that mattered. But we would say things like that, right? Something always greater than us. And so God has nothing greater. And isn't it kind of good that the creator of the universe, when he makes a promise, he makes it dependent on him because if the promise fails, then the whole universe is gonna fail. So I love that. So listen, he does that. And then, and then he tells us, listen, verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he, he, uh, he obtained the promises. So listen, man, Abraham's walking through. Abraham obtained the promises. What did he obtain? One son and some land in the Middle East. That's what he obtained. But for Abraham, that was enough. Is that enough for you? Number one, are you gonna be patient? 25 years, that's a long time to wait for a promise, isn't it? 25 years. I read that and I go, if I have to wait 25 minutes, I'm like anxious. It's like, seriously? 25 years. How long did David have to wait? Think of the great men of the Bible and check out how patient they were waiting for God to fulfill what he said he was gonna do. And us, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking me. I'll just say me. I'm not that way, man. God's got like a 48-hour notice. You make a promise, 48 hours. We're done. So listen, man, you've got to be patient. And he says he, he, he obtained the promises. Verse 16, for, in, for men indeed swear by the greater and the oath for, by the greater and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of the dispute. Here's what he's saying, man. When you say something, you swear by something and take an oath and once you do that, that's the end, right? We might say in today's vernacular, once you sign on the line, that's the end, right? We all have, con well, you know, we're, we're a litigical society and we have to have all of these contracts and if you buy anything anymore, what do you have to sign? 650 pages, right? And you just sign and sign sign and sign. You got to use four pens because you run out of ink and you're just signing and signing and signing. And, and he says, but here's what he's saying. Once you sign it, it's over. The people selling you a house, once you sign that, it's done. People selling you the car, once you sign that, it's done. It's yours. Okay. 
And so this is what he's saying. It's done. And the same with God. He says, verse 17, thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Man, listen, I love that. Here's what he's saying. God is unchangeable. When you talk about, you know, God being immutable, it means it can't change. God cannot change. And I love by two, he says, listen, by two things that cannot change, he says, God doesn't lie. And we need to depend on that. What are the two things? God's oath and God's promise. And if God makes a promise, he is going to keep it. He will keep it all the way through. And we need to know that. And then he says this. Listen, here's what he says. And he says, we have this strong, those of us that that we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Have you fled for refuge to Jesus Christ. Is he, remember in the Old Testament, in Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua, those books you love to read, especially Numbers and Deuteronomy, remember the cities of refuge? And it would lay them out, and if you, if you committed some kind of crime, you could run to that city, and if you got in that city, you were safe, and they couldn't do anything to you, but if you stepped outside of that city, they could then bring charges against you. You had to stay within the walls of that city, and you had that city of refuge. Well, it's kind of like Jesus. We need to stay in Jesus. He is our refuge right now. You know, what's interesting is it's not just Old Testament that had those. Other cultures, other places have cities of refuge. If you go to, if you go to Hawaii and you go to the big island, Hawaii, they have cities of refuge that were, were our ancient, ancient cities where people would, I don't know how they got to that island, but if you got to that island, you got in that, that little compound, you were safe and they couldn't bring charges against you. So it's the same thing. So here's what he's saying. Jesus is our city of refuge and you run to him and you stay in him. And then when he talks about refuge, listen, here's what he says. This hope we have in verse 19, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul. Woo, that is awesome. An anchor. Oh, I think in the first century they had maybe a little bit more uh, uh, familiarity with anchors than maybe especially we do in the southwest. Like, I was born and raised in the Southwest. We don't float many boats. So I, I know nothing about boats or ships other than what I read, but I do understand how important anchors are, and they're important. They were maybe, maybe more important. I don't know. I don't know if today they're still just as important because what does the anchor do? Number one, if it's, if it's you know, if it's rough seas, and, and you're stopped, you put the anchor in to stabilize the vessel and keep it from being tossed to and fro as much. Or, or you don't want it drifting away, right? You put the anchor down so you don't like park your boat and go have dinner and come back and it's gone. So, you know, anchors are important. And he says, hey, he says, listen, man. He says, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul. An anchor. Do you know? Here's an interesting thing. In the first century, second century, third century, do you know what the biggest emblem for Christianity was? 
wasn't the cross. They're not gonna put a cross up. What did the cross mean in the first century? This is a means of execution. The biggest emblem for Christianity was, wasn't a fish, it was the anchor. The fish was right next to it. That's amazing when you think about it. In the catacombs, there's more anchors than anything else drawn on the walls, not literal anchors, but anchors was it. Anchors, because they, they believed in that, that that was the stabilization of their life, man. You get in Christ. Now, and here's a funny thing. When you drop an anchor, I just use the term, right? What do you do? You drop an anchor. What do we do? We send our anchor up, right? Our anchor doesn't go down. Our anchor goes up with Jesus, and we're anchored in him. And listen, that's an important thing. Listen to these scriptures because here's some promises we have and, and guarantees we have about this. He says, listen, in Joshua, Joshua says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth and you know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises of the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Woo! Can you say that in your life? And then here's promises of the Holy Spirit to be our guarantee in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has appointed us in God who also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a, as a guarantee. The Spirit is the guarantee. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee and in Ephesians chapter 1 in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption the spirit is our guarantee God has made us promises are you anchored in them Oh, it gets better. Listen, it's not, it's not just the anchor. It's that Jesus took that anchor someplace. Listen, this hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now listen, for you and I, when he talks about behind the veil, for most of us, that doesn't mean a whole lot in our culture. If we've read the Bible, we understand what he's talking about and we have an understanding. But listen, uh, and, and here's what he's saying. God, uh, Jesus took that anchor, check this out. He took that anchor behind the veil. What does that mean? If you're familiar, the Old Testament temple outside, this is, I get, I get a little flippant, I guess. Outside you had the barbecue area, right? Right, where you, where you, Offered the sacrifices, the burnt sacrifices. Wasn't that just a big barbecue? I mean, come on, really? Like, do you think when, when God says it's a great fragrance to him, is something that's overdone a great fragrance? No, I think they're barbecuing. And God goes, when your neighbor's barbecued, do you do that? Oh, that smells good. So you have the area where they're doing the sacrifices. 
And that's where the men met. And then just inside, man, you went right inside the first part of the temple. Remember, they, they didn't hang out in the temple. Almost all of it was out there. You'd go inside in that holy place. You had the table of showbread. You had the menorah. And then you had the table of uh, the altar of incense where they would burn incense. And, and once a day, they would go in and fix all that up and take care of all that and make sure that was functioning. And then you had this big veil, this curtain. It went from top to bottom and, and all the way to the sides. And then most people say it was at least 16 inches thick. That's thick. Who has curtains that thick? You don't need blackout curtains that thick. They're thick, right? And what does it say that Jesus, when he died, the veil, that temple was ripped from top to bottom, not bottom to top, but top to bottom. He went behind that veil once a year. We talked about this. Once a year, the high priest would go back there and offer the blood of, of, the, of the sin offering. And he would do that once a year. They'd tie a rope on his foot. He had little bells on his, on, his, on his robe in case, you know, so if the bells quit dinging, they'd pull him out. He'd croaked back there. Now, here's what I think. That had to be the funkiest place. Think about it. Nobody went back there. How much dust was back there? How much dried blood was back there? I think about it. That's the things I guess I have a weird mind. I sit and I go, man, that had to be like, when you went back there, you had to go, uh, here's what I would think. This is really disappointing. But you're thinking, and. But it was the holy of holies, right? It was the mercy seat where you could meet with God. And listen carefully, Jesus went back there. What does he say is the forerunner? What does the forerunner do? We might, say, we might say scout or maybe even to bring it to today's vernacular. He was the intel gatherer. He went before so all of us could follow after him. And he got the information and all of us, man, he's going ahead of us. All of us can go right directly into the holy of holies. We read that a few chapters ago. And then he comes back all the way around in chapter five, he left off. Now all the way around and he says, even Jesus, he's the forerunner, having become high priest forever according to, uh, uh, according to the order of Melchizedek. Finally, we're back to Melchizedek. Now we'll talk about him next week. I'm not gonna talk a lot about that other than to say this. The high priest, the priesthood was through Aaron and the tribe of Levi. And the dilemma, if you will, if you want to say that, dilemma for God is that Jesus, who was born as a human, and in that human heritage, he was from the tribe of Judah. How can someone from the tribe of Judah take the place of a high priest when you got to come from Levi? Well, you know what? Here's the thing. It's not like God was in heaven going, ay, yay, ay, 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 I made a mistake. He's going, hey, it's a whole different order. And he's going through Melchizedek. So that's kind of leaving you hanging. If you want to know about Melchizedek, you have to come next week. Or read chapter 7. I'm sure you can read and understand your own. Saints, are you anchored in Jesus? You know, I was thinking as we were doing this, as I was studying for this, I was thinking this is again. You guys should be amazed what's in here. I was thinking of this, would it be cool to have someone set up and as we go out to tattoo an anchor on everybody? I just thought, that would be fun. You guys are like, 
you're not touching me. What are you talking about? And then some parents are going, I just thought that would be kind of fun, but maybe not. So we're not going to do it. There's nobody out there. You're safe because I'm getting some dirty looks right now. <laughs> so, is your anchor in Christ? Now listen, here's what I understand. I don't need a tattoo to remind me that I'm anchored in Christ. Is your first and foremost love with him and following him? Out of that relationship overflows everything else in your life. I am a firm believer that if you want to be a good employer, be a good Christian. Follow Jesus. You want to be a good employee? Follow Jesus. You want to be a good husband? Follow Jesus. Good wife? Follow. We can go on, right? I believe in our generation, our culture, we put too much, too much emphasis on trying to segregate and make everything. We have to have a special study for this, a special study for this age, a special study for this gender, a special study for these people, a special study. You want to be what God has called you to be? Follow Jesus. I know people tell me, Pat, you're too simple. Well, that's because I am simple. I can't get complicated. I think it's that. Listen, I believe with all my heart, if we diligently put energy into our relationship with him, out of that, we're going to produce the fruit of good husbands, good wives, good parents, good employees, good employers. That is going to work. That's how Christianity is supposed to work. It's out of that dynamic relationship with him. So my question today is, do you love him? And you've got to answer that. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you this morning. The opportunity that we have to just sit and absorb from your word. And that just the author putting it in such ways. That Lord, there's, there's good things going on in our lives. Maybe even for some of us, great things. And that's good, but we have to maintain a diligence in our relationship. It's not something we can't coast. We've talked about before. You're either going forward or going backwards. So Jesus, I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would increase our love for you. And most of all, that we would be assured in our hearts, in our heart of hearts, that we are anchored in you. All of the warnings we've read so far are about people who are posing and pretending. I pray, God, that once again we would do that self-check and we would be real and honest with you. Thank you, Jesus, for being that forerunner, for being that scout, for being the one who goes ahead of us in everything. All we have to do is follow you. Thank you. And I'm going to ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here today and you know, you, you, know, you know your heart, you know where you're at. Maybe you are a poser. Maybe you are a pretender. And you're here and 
God is beginning to work in you, even as I'm speaking, then you need to give your heart to Jesus. And by saying that, here's what I mean. You need, to, you need to get real with him. You need to be honest with him. You need to let him know that you're a poser, you're a pretender. And that today you want salvation. That today, right now, you want your sins forgiven. This forerunner we talked about, this one who went ahead, this Jesus, he went to the cross and paid the penalty that you and I owe for sin. That's separation from God. He took all of that upon himself and now today he holds out this, this quote, bill, stamped, paid in full. All you have to do is trust him. Put your hope in him. So if you wanna do that, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you can say this prayer with me, you can say it out loud, you can say it silently. The main thing, you've gotta be sincere. It's gotta be real coming from your heart. If you're watching online, Man, say this prayer. You don't have to be in this building to say this prayer. If you're backslidden today, come home. Come back to Jesus. Say this prayer with us. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.